I think the expectation of puppies to be perfect, sweet baby angels, that's the expectation and it's so not the reality. We have to train the behaviors we want to see or they're going to become chaotic. Hello and welcome back to Honest to Dog Podcast. I'm Liz, your favorite dog trainer and podcast co-host. And I'm Jeff, your second favorite podcast host. <laughs> Liz, what are we talking about this week? Today we're talking about training puppies. How to train your puppy. How to train your dragon. Mm-hmm. How to train your dragon puppy. That's kind of similar. So I think this is a pretty topical episode because you've just finished two, not one, but two puppy training series with Mm -hmm. different uh, families. And so we thought it would be great to take some of the observations and lessons learned and try to distill them for uh, the podcast so that people can get a little bit of insight into how you approach your puppy training. I love it. And start implementing a lot of that training themselves at home. There you go. So if they have a puppy, if you have a puppy or if you're thinking about getting a puppy or if you know somebody with a puppy or you've even thought about a puppy, this is going to help. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. So Liz, when do most people call you for puppy training? That's a, such a, a good question with many answers. <laughs> it depends. It depends on the puppy that they get. But some people, I'll hear from them in that first month with their puppy because it's not going to plan. It is not what they signed up for. They think they got a puppy and instead they got a dragon. And so they're freaking out. And then there are a lot of the times clients coming to me at about five or six months. And that's typically when puppies go into the next stage of development and that development is play. And so they think everything is a game and they start challenging us and testing our patience. And so the next time I hear from people or people are reaching out because they definitely need help is when dogs roll into explore. And we refer to that stage as the terrible twos at the dog house. And that's between seven and 10 months. And it doesn't mean your dog is naughty that entire time, but Um, It could be a month, it could be two weeks, or it could be three months where your dog is really, really, really challenging you on everything. And when they're in that terrible two stage, that's when they're bigger, they're stronger. And if they've been challenging the owner thus far, the behaviors do tend to get pretty unmanageable. Um, So I do feel for them at that point. But a lot of clients, there's so much that happens over the course of that first year in development that they they need help at least at one point. I think you described it to one of the families you were recently working with as not being a linear process. It's mm-hmm. like two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, two steps back. And so there's kind of ups and downs and that that is totally normal. And I think, you know, maybe some people get discouraged thinking that they're not making continual gains, Mm -hmm. but that's just kind of the way it goes, right? There's going to be progress and regression and plateaus and you got to break through. And well, isn't that like everything in life? Like you don't, you don't finish yoga you don't finish playing piano. You don't like, you know what I mean? You don't just get to a point where you're like, and scene, completion, I have mastered that thing. Right. Everything is to get better and improve, not to perfect, that doesn't exist, but to just always get better than the day before. 
And so puppy training aside, that's just growing up with a dog. So that's when most people call you. I think it's worthwhile giving mm-hmm. shout outs or kudos to say our friends, Andrea and Justin, who actually got in touch like six weeks before their puppy was going to come home. And I think, you know, I'll let you speak to this, but what that allowed them to do was build a bunch of baseline conceptual knowledge before mm-hmm. even getting the puppy and get the whole family, their three kids included, on board with the training and the philosophy so that they could start on day one. I know. Those are my favorite people when they're looking for the the trainer and who they want to work with before the dog comes home because one, they can be selective then and they can do their homework and they can vet people and find out who they really want to work with. They're booking that time in advance. So they're guaranteeing themselves the opportunity to work with who they want to when they want to, right? Whereas a lot of people, if you leave it until you're in an emergency state and you need a trainer tomorrow, you're just going to go with whoever is available. And usually the best trainers aren't available at the drop of a hat. A lot of listeners are probably going to roll their eyes because this is a very dink comment to say. Mm. But once again, an analogy with kids, you don't start taking parenting classes after the child is born or after the child is brought home or adopted or whatever. You do it in the months leading up to having the baby yeah, so that you're ready to go. And it's the same thing with getting a puppy, right? Because you're making a lifelong commitment and... If you're starting, if you're starting your training the day it comes home, you're already late. Mm-hmm. So, when these folks get in touch with you, what are they most commonly looking for your help mm-hmm. with? Okay, it depends on the stage of development where the dog is at, and so the people who book me well in advance of having their dog, and we start the training for the humans right away, um, they tend to be either first-time dog owners who are perfectionists and so they want to start off doing the things right. And then there's another side where dog owners, they've had dogs in the past and it it hasn't worked out and it's been traumatic and they have vowed to not repeat that same thing. And so they have, they've put a lot of pressure on themselves to do it right and not mess it up. And they, they take accountability that it wasn't just a messed up dog. They had a role in it. And this time they want to do it right. And that's why they're choosing dog psychology because a lot of the times they have done obedience or something and yeah. it hasn't, hasn't yielded the results they were after. Yeah, exactly. So now they know they're like, okay, we have to go the behavior route and they find me. And is it fair to say that like, it's almost better sometimes working with folks who've had those kinds of experiences. And it's not like we're wishing bad experiences on anybody, but I've heard you say before that sometimes working with people who have had past experiences that have been less than desirable are sometimes better to work with because they've got more skin in the game. They really are committed to making sure it's different this time. And so they're they're all in versus somebody who is maybe getting their first puppy and you know, they're, they're only one foot in. So long as they take accountability. Yes, I will agree with you. Um, because they've lost something very, very significant, um, in a pet, whether they had to give it up, whether they had to put it down, 
it's very, it's hard on them. That's what I mean when I say they put pressure on themselves so that they don't have that history repeat itself. They, they really feel the weight of it, the gravity of the situation of if we mess this up, we might have to do the same thing. We might have to put this dog down. And they know even in the end result, they know that that's hard and, and sad enough, but they also know and realize how much stress the dog has been enduring, however long it's been alive. And for some dogs, that's two years. They can become that unstable and become super aggressive. Some dogs, it can be much later, but either way, they've lived probably a pretty stressful life, whether that was seven years or two years. So back to your question, if they're contacting me at the puppy's follow stage, where it's still a very young pup, it's probably in the first like month that they've had it. It's usually a specific issue that they're trying to deal with. And it's one of the following or all three, not wanting to walk on the leash, horrible with the crate training. They're having a really hard time with crying through the night and kind of what fits in with that as well as potty training, I would say. So it's like pretty, pretty basic fundamental things though, but it's really early in the game still. And we can start off on the right foot and get everything settled. What about the second stage? Okay. So after we've done our work through follow and getting really good in the home. Once we have like the essentials for in the home training, that's like your basic leash and crating and starting obedient stuff. The next stage we're working on how to contain excitement, how to, how to turn off that because they think everything's a game and they challenge us and what rules we start to need to have in the house to make sure that this kind of unruly puppy doesn't then become a dominant, anxious or aggressive or any of those things that we don't want dog as an adult that we have to then live for with forever. Um, because this is all imprinting that first year with your dog, you're, you're setting them up for life. Then the last stage tends to be when they're in the explore stage, people are calling me for help because they, the dog is not listening, not coming when called. Um, pulling on leash and reacting to other dogs. And so a lot of the time, like one of the first questions is how old is your dog? Um, and if they tell me somewhere in between that seven to 10 months, I can pretty much always guess, let me, let me guess. One of the things your puppy is doing is catch me if you can in the backyard. And they're like, yep, absolutely. And that's that play, but it's also that challenge and that, I'm going to take off. Everything is more exciting than you, the human. Like I want to pay attention to everything else. And that's also why we're starting to see reactivity on the walks a lot of the time. So they want help with pulling and reactivity, sometimes jumping up, a lot of the times jumping up, counter surfing, like all of a sudden, if we don't have a balanced dog here, we're going to start seeing red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. What's so interesting to me hearing you talk about this is that there are clearly defined patterns, right? Because dogs all go through the same mental and physical developmental stages, it's predictable what the types of things you're going to encounter are. So while everybody thinks that their dog is a snowflake, and I see the emails you get, you know, everybody's telling their dog's story and, and how they're experiencing unique problems. As a dog trainer, you're looking at it through a very systematic way. 
Yeah. I'm like, yep, that's normal. That's normal. That's normal. And normal in that it's predictable, not that it has to happen. Right. So I love working with the people who get the puppy and we're working from pretty much the first week they get it. And we've already done some background stuff together. But just because I work with them at that point, it doesn't mean I don't see them perhaps later on, but their issues aren't nearly as intense. And because they're, they're already in a preventative mindset, I tell them, like, you're going to start seeing this when the puppy rolls into play, which means we need to do this. So I give them the game plan ahead. And if they need the help there, I can be their backup and support and we can book another follow-up session for each stage. But when people wait until terribles to do the, the deep work, that dog has gotten four to six months of time to gain wins against the humans reps that their shift in behavior happens later with that puppy. Cause just cause a couple months, like it matters. So given that there is this pretty well-defined routine or pattern that unfolds with follow play explorer, how do you approach your puppy consultations? And and it's a bit of a leading question because I had the really good fortune of riding along with one of your recent puppy training clients and seeing you go through three consecutive sessions with lots of time in between for the family to put in the reps and work on the stuff. And what was interesting to me is that you went in with a game plan, but you also had to have this kind of situational fluency based on... Mm-hmm what had transpired since the last session and yet you'd have goals for like session one was about I think you said building relevance Mm -hmm. right and so you have a whole bunch of tools in your dog trainer tool belt that you can use to build relevance session two was about you know following and being a leader right Mm -hmm. and and you've got tools so like do you kind of have a bit of a game plan going in or like talk me through how you approach that as a dog trainer Really, I have a a game plan of what needs to be learned at that stage um, and what are the essential things dogs should start learning and implementing right away. So what do we want? We want the dog to be potty trained, calm in the house, sleep through the night, not have separation anxiety. Perfect. I know the solution for that. Crating. We're going to start this dog on a routine and a crate, and we're going to make sure that we introduce it properly and that the human's comfortable with it, knows that it's a staple. Like all of that has to happen at some point. Sometimes it's the first lesson. Sometimes it's the second. Sometimes it's something we learn before the puppy comes home. Like there, at some point, I need to make sure they have that information. I also need to make sure that that dog knows how to follow on leash also need to make sure that the human knows how to use that leash and starts an understanding of pressure through the leash and that communication. That's pretty much always where I start because the leash is so integral to how we're going to set a foundation with this training. So that's what I'm going to start with. And at some point they're going to learn follow, they're going to learn sit, they're going to learn down and all the things that they need to know in using the leash. Recall some of that like that was the relevance, right? And we started with recall, which is not something that I typically do. Um, but it was just, I just noticed in the moment, like, okay, yeah, we don't have any of this puppy's attention. And so let's work on that first. 
I love that. And one of the things, you know, I know I'm biased, but one of the things I love watching the way you teach is that you've got these things that you're trying to achieve as objectives, but the path to get there is so tailored to the client and how they learn. Like, are they a kinesthetic learner, a visual learner, an auditory learner? What do they do as a profession so that you can relate? Like, you're, you make it very relevant and malleable to the person that you're teaching. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for noticing and for giving me that kudos because I take that as a huge compliment because I think it shows that you're giving the client what they need and, and in a way that they really understand so that they can be successful. And not everybody maybe needs that. There are people who can just read a textbook and be able to implement it. I know I'm a very hands-on learner. And so I, I kind of teach the way I would appreciate being taught. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you, I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to like as many repetitions to as possible so that everybody knows that they know that they know. To that end, another thing that I observed, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on how this compares to other training approaches out there. It seems as though the client spends most of the time handling the dog, Mm -hmm. not the dog trainer. Mm -hmm. Usually in the start, in the first session, I do more hands-on than the client um, so that I can really demonstrate how we're going to work with the dog, especially because we're changing the tool pretty much every time um, I'm doing the introduction to the slip lead. And so I talk them through everything that I'm doing. I'm very intentional with how I use the leash. And so I want them to see that and emphasize that you are learning a new language, the language of the leash. And so you can't, I can't just throw you into it. I do have to demonstrate. I do a demonstration where the human wears the slip lead and I demonstrate pressure and release and how not to use the leash because people are typically so used to using a regular flat collar and leash that has really poor communication to your dog, if anything at all. Like I always say, it's not a training tool. A flat collar is an accessory. So I give them something more powerful and I want them to be sensitive with it. And all they've probably known is this puppy who's been either chewing the leash, biting it, or thrashing against it. And I'm like, we're going to actually be really soft with how we use this tool. And so I, I want to make sure that they understand not to overdo it. Less is more, less is more. And, and then the second I pass over that leash, they're so hyper aware to it and it's awesome. And then I can be right there to, to remind them, okay, now relax. Okay. I find that's the hardest thing actually for puppy people to learn Um, a lot of dog owners in in general, but puppy people especially, is when they're learning pressure and release, the hardest part for them is the release. When to do it. They don't trust the puppy to stay in a sit. And I'm like, so so who cares? He's got to learn when like you stay in a sit until I release you from the sit. And so we'll teach sit with pressure up and the dog will, the puppy will sit and I'll be like, okay, now relax the pressure. I always have to like tap them on the arm and be like, and arm down. Like, can we breathe? <laughs> like relax. And they're so hesitant to release that pressure because they know the second that they do, the puppy's going to get out of the sit. Yeah. I know that too. I guaranteed it's going to happen. 
So who cares? We're going to put them back into the sit. They have to learn that pressure on means I'm communicating something that you're not doing. Pressure off means thank you very much. I like what you're doing. Continue to do that. And so you're going to do a lot of repetitions of sit. Like I think the expectation of puppies to be perfect, sweet baby angels, that's the expectation. And it's so not the reality. We have to train the behaviors we want to see or they're going to become chaotic. Probably a good segue into what you find are maybe the most common stumbling blocks or put differently, where is it that puppy owners most commonly get stuck? And again, this is one of those things that everybody probably feels like they're the only one who doesn't get it and that maybe they've failed in some way. It's probably a harsh way to put it. But one of the things I see is that you often reassure people like, you know, this is par for the course, right? Everybody goes through these hurdles to get to the other side. Oh yeah, that's so important. Like the the look of relief that washes over them when I'm like, oh yeah, that's to be expected at this age. They're like, oh, okay, it's not just my naughty puppy. So I would say one of them for sure is puppy biting and nipping. People go, they get really worried that they have an aggressive dog. And this was one of the dogs that I was working with. And she was, they sent me a video because she was growling and she was biting the leash. And I guess she had been like that a bit too with one of the toys. And they're like, oh my God, is this resource guarding? Like immediate panic. And I look at the video and I go, let's play. And yeah, she's challenging you. Yeah, I don't love that she's growling and doing those behaviors, but she thinks it's playful right now. And if we don't solve this and she gains more and more confidence um, and she she gets powerful, then it's going to become a, prob- a really big problem later on. I agree with you. It could become resource guarding for sure because she's practicing it as play right now. And that's what play is. Play is how dogs learn how puppies learn social manners and hierarchy and like really crucial roles. And it's natural when your puppy is in play stage, which this puppy was to challenge you in those ways and to try to make a game out of something and how you handle those situations lets your dog know they're that you are either weak or strong. So every time you play with your puppy or they try to initiate it, that's a learning opportunity, a training opportunity. So handle it well. And they didn't know how to calm that situation down. And so that was what that that uh, training session ended up being about. Yeah, I knew we needed to get to the walk at some point in that session because they had been practicing follow at home. They needed to then be able to now let's take this dog on a walk because this was our second session. Um, but we did also have to talk about, okay, how do we deescalate these situations when she gets in these terror modes um, and sure enough, we saw it on the walk because that's always a fear of people like clients want to see the worst behavior come out. And it usually isn't as intense when in my company and they get frustrated and annoyed with that. And I'm like, is that not just proof that like you can do this? It's actually easy with your dog if we're using the right tools intentionally and if we're really calm and confident in our energy. What it ended up being with this puppy, I was like, are you sticking to the schedule and the routine? 
And sure enough, they weren't like she was having way too much free roaming in the house. And so when they sent me the video, I, I said immediately, what I want you to start doing is no talking to the dog starting immediately. Let's reset, right? The one about no touch, no talk, no eye contact. We covered this and why that's an important thing in training for me. And I also said restrict freedom as in follow your schedule that I gave you. So I come over, I show up for the session and the puppy's not in the crate, but there's a baby gate. So she could be in the, in the kitchen area, but nowhere else in the house. I'm like, this is not enough. <laughs> I appreciated that. But I was like, but like, if she's not on leash working with you for like, I mean, training wise, either on a walk or follow or recall or working your sit down stays obedient stuff, then she's in her crate. And that's the reason she's nipping. She is tired. She is grouchy. She is cranky, just like a toddler who misses a nap or goes down late. I was going to say, is it overstimulation? Yes. Right. So puppy nipping, the, the best solution typically tends to be like, that's just a tired puppy who's overstimulated, who doesn't have enough sleep. So crate more. That actually brings up, I was going to ask in terms of like the number one key to success with a puppy. And I know that's probably really boiling the ocean a lot here, but in watching you work with a couple of these dogs and, and a few of these families recently, one theme that I feel like I've observed, and, and I'm curious to get your take on this, is that we give our puppies more freedom and so not enough structure and not nearly enough boundaries as we need to be. And we think that we're giving them boundaries and limitations and structure, and we might be, but it's not enough. And that, that I don't want to say solves all the problems, but like you just said, if it's nipping, well, it can't nip if it doesn't have that option, right? And, and, and there's probably a series of other things. It can't jump up if it doesn't have that option. It can't Countersurf, poop in the house, destroy your couch, so many things. And I'm not saying leave your dog and your, and your puppy in the crate 24-7. I'm saying give them a break when they need it and be ahead of it. Know your pup, like this is the other thing too. Puppies do not have the self-control, the self-awareness that we expect them to where a lot of people are like, well, yeah, the crate's out and he has that option to go in whenever he wants. Yeah, but if you're moving around or talking to the dog or talking on a conference call, or there's so much stimulation that we might not even be aware of that our puppies are sleeping with one eye open and they're not getting a full rest. And so do them a solid and, and give them a break I said, like, I, I did a post about this every half hour to hour. Yeah, if it, depending on what you're doing. If it's an intensive, like, training session where you, and we, where you want that dog to learn a skill, 30 minutes and then a nap so that they can have that time to digest that knowledge and not get overstimulated and nippy with you. Any other kind of final keys to success with that puppy? We talked about really making sure that we're providing enough structure and enough boundaries and crate time, essentially. Anything else that, you know, is is like a, a must-have for ensuring that the training is, is going to achieve the desired outcome? I always make sure in all training sessions, so not just this one, is that we 
we emphasize calmness and minimize excitement as much as possible because I know people find it very cute when puppies are excited. Maybe they're doing zoomies or full body wags and just being kind of crazy or jumping up and all that stuff. It's cute while they're little. It is something you're going to regret creating later on down the line. It being an example for my clients of how to show up as a calm leader for a puppy, even though they're so ridiculously cute, I can hold my composure and not be all, oh, zip, oh, zip, baby, um, loving on it and creating the stuff. It's just so easy with a puppy to greet it in an excited way, talk to it like it's a baby, pet it and create the excitement. So then it jumps up. It starts making all the mistakes that you don't want. Just don't create that. You know what I mean? There's so much prevention that can happen with puppies and, and training them right from the beginning. Resist that urge. Like you have no right to, to mess up a puppy. <laughs> Be better. <laughs> and maybe a final thing. We've talked about, you know, what to do in the training kind of leading up to your puppy. And once you've got your puppy and we've talked about the three stages of puppy development, but you know, one final thing, and we'd encourage you to go back and check out these episodes making sure that you're getting the right puppy, that you've got yes. compatibility and you're bringing the right puppy with the right energy and the right pack position into your family and then choosing the right puppy from that the litter. shelter or the litter uh, or the adoption agency. So we've got ones about compatibility and about kind of picking the right puppy. So be sure to listen to those. If you're thinking about a puppy, it starts there. It starts with finding the right match for you and your family and then you can implement a lot of these training practices. I say that the second you're entertaining the thought of getting a puppy, start doing some human training for you. If that doesn't scare you and you're still like, yep, yeah, sign me up, then start doing your research as to what breed and, and assessing your family dynamic or your home life. And so that you can know what being is going to be the best match for that. And I say being because some people think they want a dog and they should get a cat instead. <laughs> so just, yeah. In that, in the one about puppies, we talk a lot about how to select the right dog, not just breed, but dog. So definitely check that one out. Well, Liz, just as a final thought, I just want to congratulate you on the great work you've done. I mean, it's really fun to watch you work with families with puppies. And I think what's even more fun is seeing the success that they get, whether it's a dog in the neighborhood that I see walk past our window in a great walk, you know, following their leader or hearing good news from, you know, an old friend who is you know, seeing better walks and more uh, engagement and more relevance with their puppy it's really cool to see the impact that you're having on not just these dogs, but these families too. Thanks. And for anyone who wants some dog house puppy training, we do have our online options available. So it's a do it yourself from home, follow along videos that are super instructional. Also comes with an ebook. You get the schedule for proper crate training and to avoid separation anxiety and all that stuff down the line, you can find that on our website, www.doghouse.ca. And you can also find it in the description of this episode down below. If you've got a puppy story of your own, good, bad, ugly, please share it with us. Drop us a DM 
uh, on Instagram at Honest to Dog Podcast. We'd love to hear it. Cool beans. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And until next time, stay calm and assertive. Bye. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment or a review. We'd love to hear from you. We release a new podcast weekly. Follow us on Instagram at Honest to Dog Podcast. Honest to Dog Podcast is hosted by Liz Foley and Jeff Gadway. The show is engineered, edited, and produced by me, Timothy Musa. For all things training and daycare, check out doghouse.ca. D-O-G-H-A-U-S dot C-A.